Hey everyone, it's MSNBC's Chris Hayes. For the first time since 1892, we have an election in which both candidates have presidential records. It's a chance to take a hard look at what Joe Biden and Donald Trump have actually done as president. On a special Why Is This Happening podcast series called With Pod 2024 The Stakes, I'm talking to experts about the two candidates' records on specific policy areas like immigration, taxes, climate, and more. So you know what's at stake come November. Search for Why Is This Happening and follow. tonight with the ongoing crisis in Texas and the ever-evolving story from the absentee junior Republican senator from that state, Ted Cruz. Cruz spent the day lying while his constituents continued dying. At least 23 people across Texas have lost their lives this week from hypothermia, from accidents trying to heat their homes using kitchen stoves or keeping their kids warm in their cars. People are running out of food and water. And let's not forget we're still in the middle of a pandemic, so heading to a shelter is a pretty frightening concept. Millions of Texans are still struggling without power after severe winter weather shut down much of the power grid. It's an absolute disaster. And as for Ted Cruz, fresh off his stint toying with insurrection, well, he just returned from his 24-hour sojourn south of the border with the fam. Because who wouldn't want a little getaway to a beach resort in Mexico when their state is in crisis? Senator Cruz's story about why he was out of the country has, shall we say, evolved over time. Here's Ted speaking to reporters from Telemundo before boarding his emergency flight back home after getting busted for the trip. Well, Texas is going through horrific storms, and millions of Texans have lost power and lost heat and have been hurt. And uh, our, our family was among them. We had no heat and no power. And uh, yesterday, my daughters asked if they could take a trip with some friends, and Heidi and I agreed, so I flew down with them last night. also released a statement today trying to justify the terrible timing, saying he just wanted to be a good dad. His daughters, after all, needed an adult travel companion for their play date abroad. I will note and remind you they do have a mother. Her name is Heidi. He just mentioned her. Cruz, however, doubled down on the message that his daughters aren't just in Cancun. They're also under the bus. Texas clearly has an absentee senator, which is kind of perfect. And of course, he's far from the only villain. We're going to get to the rest of them later. But now... Here comes the part about the lying. Ted Cruz claimed that one reason that he ditched his state was because his house didn't have power. But on Monday, on conservative Joe Pag's radio show, Rafael the Canadian said something very different. In Houston, uh, thankfully my home, uh, we didn't lose power. So right now we've got a bunch of the neighborhood kids all over playing with our girls because their parents lost power and our house was lucky. So we've got kids running up up and down the stairs right now. Okay, okay, I guess it's theoretical, but maybe he lost power after the show. But Ted, come on. Is that why your Palm Beach boss man called you lying, Ted Cruz? I mean, he wasn't right about a lot. No, he wasn't right about almost anything. But that one? Yeah. You know what it means to be a good dad, Ted? How about the father who spent hours scouring his Houston neighborhood for fallen trees and rotten wood to feed a fireplace to keep his family warm? That's a good dad. And you know who else would like to escape Texas right now and be warm and safe and maybe take a shower and find food for their kids? 
The millions of Texans who have been forced to use stoves, barbecue grills, or their vehicles as a heat source, with authorities now ordering 7 million people to boil their tap water before drinking it after days of record low temperatures, damaged infrastructure, and froze the water pipes. Oh, we see you, Ted Cruz. We see you in your supposedly overnight suitcase bursting at the seams. It's expanded option clearly utilized. We see you branding this as a 24-hour chaperone trip for your kids, even though you were originally scheduled to return on Saturday. We see you wearing a Texas flag mask, as if Texas is always on your mind. Meanwhile, in your state, this is what's happening. It was colder in my living room than inside the refrigerator. That's how cold it was. There were no waters, water in the store. We only have like two cases of water left. So we're trying to divide it between two families. Right now, we're just, uh, we're really concerned about how fast the temperature is really dropping inside. It's, you know, either you stay in your house and, you know, you are cold and you freeze to death and you have no food. This is really what's happening here in Houston. This is this is people's lives right now. Right. Or you go out and go from hotel to hotel, hoping you find something and you risk, you know, getting COVID. But for whatever reason, Cancun Cruz, you thought it was a good idea to abandon the millions of people you're responsible for who are freezing and fearing for their lives to come here instead, only to come back home and lie about it. Joining me now is Sochi Inahosa, former communications director for the Democratic National Committee, MJ Hager, former Texas Democratic Senate candidate, and joining me on the phone, Matthew Dowd, chief strategist for the Bush-Cheney 2004 presidential campaign. Congresswoman Hager, I want to go to you first, because um, this is your state, um, you, you and Sochi state as well. Ted Cruz just did a press conference at his home, and he said a couple of things. One of them that he said was, he said it was obviously a mistake. He says, in hindsight, I wouldn't have done it. I was trying to be a dad. When you have girls who are cold and haven't been in school and want to get out of here, a lot of parents would say, if I can do it, that's, it, that's what I wanted to do. I can imagine lots of parents would have loved to do that who are freezing with their kids at home. They don't have the privilege or the cash to jump on a flight and saute off to, um, off to Mexico. How do you feel hearing that as an excuse? Yeah, Joy, it's really not just egregious. I think there's the obvious outrage. Um, and frankly, you're never going to catch me complaining when Ted Cruz leaves the state. I think that's the best thing he could do for us. Um, it's, it's clearly the character, uh, you know, issues of lying afterwards. Frankly, nobody's talking about the fact that he tied up Houston PD first responder resources to escort him to the airport because he's so important. He's self-identifying as non-essential, then he should not be tying up resources to protect him. I mean, he's clearly saying that there's not nothing that he can do as a senator. There's plenty he could still do as a citizen. Um, I'm, you know, here with my community baking bread for neighbors. And, and, you know, it was really scary when my house got down into the 50s. And I had it a lot better than a lot of people um, that I had that much heat into the 50s. Um, days without power. We luckily had hot water. A lot of people have water mains bursting in their homes. The death toll is definitely a lot more than 23. I think it's just 23 in Houston frankly, Joy, it's not just the outrage at watching him flee. I mean, the, you know, come and take it, you know, face mask that he usually wears. He is fleeing a situation where we need leaders to stand strong. Um, people like Beto O'Rourke who ran against him, who are making 150,000 phone calls to check on the elderly. That's what we need is leadership is not just your official position, but anything you can do as a human being, that's what we need. And so 
watching that makes me realize even more in stark, um, you know, it's, it's very obvious we have a political system that rewards people for character deficiencies that make them successful elected officials, successful politicians. And those same character deficiencies end up costing people their lives when we need to turn to our leaders. Well, I mean, yeah, the father mistakes were made. You know, Beto O'Rourke can't do anything about the winter storm. None of these people can actually stop a winter storm, a catastrophic storm. Nobody can. You know, but Ted Cruz is busy sucking in uh, oil company money. Beto O'Rourke can't do anything either. But he's there. The symbolism of being there for your community, making phone calls, trying to help people, trying to find a way to make a difference. You know, Ted Cruz has the power of a United States senator. Sochi, I want to go to you on this. The other um, statement that he made in front of his home, Um, was this. From the moment I sat on the plane, says Ted Cruz, I began to second guess that decision. I know why we are doing this, but I also have responsibilities. It's been my intention to intention to work remotely, to be on the internet, to be engaged, but I needed to be here. That's why I came back. I mean, here's the thing, Um, Sochi, he could have worked remotely from Washington, D.C. That's where he works. What do you make of his excuse? That's right. Leaders are tested in a time of crisis. And I think that when leaders can't live up to the moment, then that's when you have to ask real questions about whether they should be your leaders at all. And Ted Cruz in this situation, he's shown us time and again that he can't be a good leader for Texas, whether it was the insurrection, whether it was the pandemic. Now he jets off to Cancun with his family, lies, throws his kids under the bus, lies to the American people again, saying that he re. He had um, was all his intention was always to come back to help the people of Texas. That is a lie. He he rebooked his flight this morning at 6 a.m. But I'm not surprised. This is the man who he is. And I think that Republicans in the state and uh, in the nation have to ask themselves a question. They had to ask themselves before, will we be the party of Trump? And now with Ted Cruz, this is a lot. This is very Trump like he um, in a time of crisis was not able to live up to the demands of the position. And I think that in 2024, he will have a really tough race. He hardly won his race against Beth O'Rourke. Beth O'Rourke almost beat him. And it was he, he Ted Cruz won by a slim margin. And so I think that with all of these things, it just shows us his failure of colossal failure of leadership on the part of Ted Cruz. And my phone is ringing from Republicans and Democrats in the state and those who did not vote saying, why did he go to Cancun? We need to get rid of him now. So the chatter is already starting and this man is done in 2024. Uh, You know, Matthew Dowd, you worked for George W. Bush. And the thing about Katrina was that you know, George W. Bush couldn't have stopped that either, right? And he was not the state authority in charge. And the this governor of the state bore a lot of responsibility herself. But there was also a federal system there. Those levees were built uh, and were maintained by the federal government. So there was that piece of it. At least he had some responsibility. And he took a beating for just the image of him flying overhead and looking like he was so distant from it and didn't seem to care. In this case, Texas is all on its own. It's sui generis. All of this is self-contained. The tragedy is Texan. They are the ones who decided to have their own separate power grid. They are the ones who decided to deregulate their market. This ain't the United States' fault. But yet the current president of the United States is already sending generators, sending help. And the Texas junior senator is like, I can't be of any use. Let me go to Mexico. I, I, I Talk a little bit about the bigger picture of what that means. Well, so thank you, Joy, for having me. I, I mean, I worked with Ted Cruz in 2000 in the 2000 campaign, and so I know Ted rather well. He was in the policy shop 
and I was in the political part of the campaign. And there was a common expression about Ted Cruz is why do people take such an instant, instant delight, dislike of Ted Cruz? And the answer is because it saves time uh, in, in, in how you, how Ted Cruz, how one sees Ted Cruz. Ted, this does not surprise me at all that Ted Cruz has done this. One of the things about Ted Cruz, and this is one of the things I think we should demand from our leaders, and I've talked about integrity and I've talked about telling the truth and how when we don't tell the truth, people's lives are lost. We saw it happen in Flint. We saw it happen during COVID. We saw it happen in the conspiracy theories in the election. And now we're seeing it happen in Texas, not only of the governor, but the senator from here. And what what I fundamentally don't understand is, is Ted obviously believes He's in a political party that this is acceptable for, that it's not only acceptable to abandon your responsibilities, it's also acceptable to lie about. And I'm I'm of the mind of I'm willing to bet Republican primary voters won't hold Ted accountable. So the only people fundamentally left to hold Ted accountable are independent voters and Democratic voters in a state that is still light red, but is turning turning more purple in the course of these few years. But it is an amazing thing, the, the, the lack of responsibility and accountability that Ted has. And the other thing I'll say is I'm not one to criticize other people's parenting. I have four kids. I'm here in Texas. I had to leave my house because the pipes froze, the drains froze, and the power went out. And I just came back here, and I'm actually staying with a neighbor up the street um, because of all of that. Mm-hmm. But one of the things you do in a time of crisis like Beto O'Rourke is doing is you help people. And maybe his his daughters, maybe the lesson to teach his daughters isn't, which I find ironic that he crossed the Mexican border for a better life for his family when he when he advocates for a wall along the border, mm. but he went and did the other thing to cross the border. It's quite ironic that he did that. Why don't you teach your kids in a time of crisis that the thing you do is help people out? You bring them water. You pull them out of the ditch. You do something. Even if you're not going to pass a law, which is the least of the problem, in the moment we're in, people need immediate help. They need bologna sandwiches. They need water to flush their toilets. They need a space heater. And so this idea that you're going to teach, you're going to be a good dad by taking your daughters to Cancun and their friends to Cancun and not show them lessons of a leader and responsibility and accountability and compassion and helping people out fundamentally shows that you have to have humanity in order to understand other human beings. Yeah, indeed. Let's play the soundbite about this, Ted Cruz allegedly being a good dad. I think we have that. Say, as I was taking care of my family, the same way Texans all across the state were taking care of, uh, of my family. You know, MJ, you know, to, to, to Matthew's point, Ted Cruz lives in a state where Greg Abbott tried to blame Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for the power outage. She has nothing to do with it. Uh, where the lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, who's got some um, issues of his own so d- during the COVID pandemic, he claimed that there are more important things than living uh, in defending his statement that he and other older Americans should actually give up their lives and be willing to die to get the economy open. You have Ke- General Kent, Attorney General Ken Paxton, who's the one who's got issues because he's under FBI investigation, who claimed that uh, who allegedly used his office to help a wealthy donor. So there are two pieces here. Matthew Dowd's point that Ted Cruz knows he lives in a state where Republicans can get away with all of that and their voters don't care. But part two is they, they live in a state where the Colorado city mayor said, you're on your own. We're sick of you. This is a public official saying we're sick of all you people thinking we're here to help you. We're not here to help you. Ted Cruz just reinforced that and said, basically, I'm here to help my family be comfortable and go get a better life in, a, in, in Mexico. Ironically, that is his responsibility to his family, not to his constituents. Alpha one commence Wi-Fi device checklist. Laptops on. 
TVs, streaming, game console, consoling, smart thermostat, set for cuddle time, doorbell camera, oh, my package is here. Fast, reliable, able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go, you are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet, Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film, The Aviators, now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply, actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and I'm excited to share some great news. Both The Saturday Show and The Sunday Show are available as a podcast. Every weekend, I look forward to bringing you the most important political news and the newsmakers who are creating policies that affect your life. For me, it's all about the conversation. That's when news is revealed and understanding begins. Search for Saturdays and Sundays with Jonathan Capehart and follow. I mean, we also have Rick Perry saying that Texans will take uh, blackouts over federal oversight and regulation of, of the energy grid. Look, you know, when people make profit driven decisions at the expense of people's lives, then there has to be accountability. And the only place we can hold that accountability is at the polls. Now, that means more than just running good campaigns, though. We have to fight the voter suppression, the gerrymandering, all of the things that we're trying to do here in Texas. But we're not going to see a change because, frankly, there are problems on both sides of the aisle. I might be biased. I might think that there are more problems on the other side of the aisle. But until we elect more people who have actually faced the challenges of our constituents, people who have gone without health care, people who have been laid off, people who have worried and don't have the resources to whisk their children in first class off to Cancun, then we're going to have a let them eat cake mentality of our politicians. We've got to start having more yeah. diverse voices. And, you know, we, we have to demand better from our leaders. So to, to, to that very point, Democrats are calling on Ted Cruz to resign. It doesn't seem that he has the basic character to do that. So how do you do that? How do how can Texas came so close um, to being able to elect somebody like Beto, who obviously has great humanitarian instincts and actually cares about other people? How do you get Texas past that hump? Well, first of all, I, I'd like to, you know, if. John Cornyn, I would like to see what he thinks about Ted Cruz flying off to Cancun. Um, and so I think Republican leaders need to be asked how they, whether they stand by Ted Cruz, whether or not they stand by the Republican leadership, whether this Republican leadership has done a good job. You know, at the end of the day, elections are about whether you are better off now than you were before. And I think that Texans will look at the leadership and see that the Republican leadership of Texas has failed them. I have a Republican friend who drove one hour outside of Austin with her baby. And she, it was, it was a war zone. The kids, the, the streets are not plowed. It is, everything is terrible. And so I think voters will look back and remember this moment. And uh, my hope is that we have strong democratic leadership running at the top. You know, it's it, it, let's see if the Texas Republican Party sanctions him the way that Republican parties have been sanctioning their uh, their elected leaders and even ex-elected leaders for daring to criticize Donald Trump over the insurrection. Let's see if they come up with this as a reason to sanction him. I'm not going to hold my breath, especially with that guy, Alan West, leading the party in Texas. Thank you, Sochi Inahosa, MJ Hager and Matthew Dowd. You guys are great. And much more on the crisis in Texas is coming up next. Some Texans were prepared, but the lack of preparation by the state's elected leaders is nothing short of a disgrace. Plus, we all know that Donald Trump feels threatened by women. Political reports he's refusing to meet with Nikki Haley after she criticized him about the January 6th insurrection that he fomented. Yet he did meet with Kevin McCarthy, who that same day reportedly screamed at Trump, who the F do you think you're talking to? But 
The Haley snub is not the worst recent example of Trump misogyny. We'll reveal what the absolute worst is. Plus, a big announcement right here on the readout, which could very well turn a red a red Senate seat blue. The readout continues after this. While Texas Republicans are looking for scapegoats and escape routes, Texas power grid officials are telling the public just how close the state came to a system-wide catastrophic failure. That's right, this current crisis could have been way worse. If you've been watching our show, you've heard me talk about how Texas politicians, backed by the oil and gas industry, brought, brought their state's power grid to its knees. They did so by handing oversight over to the energy companies and not state regulators. Politicians basically let the fox guard the hen house. That said, there is one exception, the city that opted out of this energy cabal. El Paso escaped the massive power outage because El Paso Electric is not part of the Texas power grid. They're connected to the Western power system, which links 14 Western states, two Canadian provinces, and a part of Baja, Mexico. In 2011, Texas went through a similar weather event with the same devastating results. But here's the thing. After reviewing what went wrong in the state, El Paso Electric spent nearly $5 million to upgrade and winterize its system. The Texas power grid did not. They declined recommendations to weatherize their system, and here we are today, entering day five of rolling power outages. I'm joined by Congressman Mark Vesey, who represents the Fort Worth area, and Richard Parker, contributor to The New York Times. And I am going to go to you first, Richard, on this, because the El Paso story, in a lot of ways, makes the overall Texas story even more tragic. Just talk about the disconnect and the breakdown and how Texas managed to deregulate itself into this mess. Yes. I mean, the history goes back to the 1930s when Texas began to opt out of a national grid that was being created by FDR. Uh, and that basically solidified itself for years, allowed the industry to go completely unregulated. And really, it had nothing to do with whether the feds regulated or rules. It had to do with money, right? Without federal oversight, the industry could, could operate without any regulations whatsoever until the 1970s and make all the money it wanted. That essentially has not really changed, as you correctly described. So that's what's taking place in most of Texas. There are three corners of Texas, El Paso, the far uh, panhandle, and East Texas that are connected to the national grid. And they've all fared better in this tragic and unnecessary human-made event that is unfolding. Uh, El Paso is part of a grid that connects New Mexico and the West, Canada, as you put, put it, but it's also, El Paso took that federal report in 2011, took it seriously. That is, El Paso spent the money, exactly as you said, to winterize and upgrade their power generators, which are literally just a few miles from where I sit. I can see them almost every day when I come into town. It is. It is. It, these are choices that were made, uh, Representative, Representative VC, right? And part of the choices feel like they're made because of the power of the oil lobby and the money they put into Texas politics, whether it's governors who are from the Texas sort of oil patch in their own you know, backgrounds like Perry and Governor George W. Bush. Um, and just in general, is the problem here the oil company and its money? The problem, Joy, is is years and years of neglect uh, from Republican leaders in the state. You know, they've been in charge for decades now, and 
you know, just like their failure with COVID. And I had these masks made up that said it didn't have to happen this way with Texas in there. And what this weather event that happened and, and uh, the problems that we're having with the grid, it didn't have to happen this way. Uh, the Republicans have basically allowed uh, for there to be very little oversight at all of ERCOT and what they're doing. The PUC is supposed to be uh, watching uh, ERCOT, but everybody knows that ERCOT is just watching ERCOT. Uh, and it's a big problem. I was in the Texas legislature for eight years before I was uh, in Congress, uh, and it's really been an ongoing problem. There's a lack of transparency uh, in, uh, in, in everything related to, to energy and energy transmission in this state. A perfect example of that is that we have in Texas what's known as the, as the, as the Texas Railroad Commission. Uh, it has nothing to do with railroads. It, it regulates oil and gas in this state. Uh, and so the gas component that we're having with our with our grid right now and electric trans electric electricity transmission, uh, that's going to have to be looked at by the Railroad Commission. The power generation issue that we're having is going to have to be looked at by the PUC. Uh, and when we and, and so when you're in this sort of emergency situation, the Railroad Commission, the three of them, they're not even allowed to be all in a room together unless they're having a public formal hearing. So they can't even work these problems out. Uh, and just having those sort of separations uh, just really is, is part of the problem. As you know, FERC has power and gas all under the same umbrella. We don't here. So there's a lot that's that's wrong with our system. There's just there's a lot of uh, trickery that's involved, like trying to hide people, trying to hide from people the name of the agency that regulates oil and gas in the state. Uh, and it's really all due to uh, Republicans uh, just basically playing games with voters because they just haven't been held accountable for the last couple of decades now. You know, Richard Parker, it, it, so you have President Biden, who is sending help to the state. Um, he is, you know, doing the emergency declaration. He's doing what he can do. But Texas, as we talked about in the previous segment, is kind of sui generis. It's sort of self-contained. They've created themselves as sort of the Republic of Texas, where they regulate themselves in a lot of ways. Um, but this is an issue that's about climate change as much as anything else. And the leaders of Texas don't apparently don't believe in it because, again, oil companies, oil money. What, in theory, could the federal government even do at this point to help this state and its citizens who don't deserve to live under this sort of oil oligarchy? Not a great deal in the, in the short term. And even the short term, what could be done is not happen. This is a really big catastrophe. It is a, it is a cascading human catastrophe. You're absolutely correct. This is purely climate change. The, the polar vortex is basically wobbling on its axle and dipping further and further south. It paralyzed Madrid just weeks ago. It's paralyzed Texas. And that's just bad planning and preparation. Oklahoma, which got colder, has fared far better. So there's really no excuse for not being prepared for the effects of climate change. You know, in the movie, the, the day after, you know, this region, Texas and northern Mexico, was the place where Americans fled, you know, the polar vortex in the climate catastrophe. It hasn't been spared this time. It's here and it's here now. And it's been here for years. Uh, this, is a, uh, the, this is a wake up call. Texas has them all the time. but Usually they're localized. A hurricane strikes near Houston, for instance. Well, those folks experience it. This time, 
most of 26 million Texans got a horrible taste of it firsthand, and they're still getting it for weeks coming. No, absolutely. And, you know, the hardest story to do on television is climate change because people are just tuning it out because it seems like something so distant, like right. that's something that's going to happen 100 right. years from now. But it's happening like right now. I remember the first time it snowed in Miami, in Miami, in Miami Beach, and everyone was shocked. And it's like, yeah, it's coming now. Representative VC, I guess then the question is politics have to kick in here at some point. We just are now seeing tweets from Ted Cruz's wife where they were apparently pre-planning their little trip to run off to Cancun because obviously they don't feel like they have to care about the consti- their own constituents. They, they don't care. They mostly care about where they can go and have a nice warm vacay. If politics are not holding Republican leaders accountable, what then? Yeah, that, it, it's, it's a huge problem, Joy. It, it, it's a massive problem. And I will tell you that, um, you know, for instance, uh, Eric Johnson, who is the mayor of Dallas, when he was in the state legislature, he actually... Uh, prepared a, some legislation that would have required state agencies to submit a report uh, for how well they were prepared for an extreme an extreme weather condition right now that we're having. And just about every Republican voted against it. And so each and every turn of the way, whether it's changing the name of the Railroad Commission to reflect what it actually does, again, which has nothing to do with the Railroad Commission, any anything that uh, brings transparency, uh, anything that educates the public about what's really happening with energy here, they just turn their eye and turn and turn their head because they think that they're not going to be challenged and that the state is so Republican that they will never be held accountable. That was the attitude that they had when I was in the state legislature. It's the attitude that the congressional delegation has right now. It's the attitude that Greg Abbott has. And I, and I have to tell you, Joy, that as long as they keep getting elected statewide in Texas, uh, incidents like this are going to continue to occur. Uh, and as it was, as it's been stated, we were literally seconds away from this entire grid crashing and us not having uh, power uh, for who knows how long. Uh, and, and, yeah. and something bad like that is going to happen one day unless we start holding Republicans accountable at the ballot box. They have to stop thinking that they can do whatever they want to and that they, they can mess over Texans however they want to and keep getting yeah. away with it. Joy, yeah, can I jump which in is why also there's a huge... Yeah, very quickly. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll be quick. I, I, I believe at this point that this is a, a catastrophe so big, it's going to require some kind of federal intervention. And that's going to be really tricky. We've got a right-wing governing class in Texas that is wrestling with its QAnon wing over its very relationship to the United States. At the same time, the Biden administration has to rush in to prevent a massive humanitarian disaster from unfolding right in the first few months of its its administration. There's a lot at stake here. It's a big deal. There's a lot at stake here. And voter suppression has got to be in that list, too. Yeah. Absolutely. We are out of time. Joy, I was going to to say Lizzie Fletcher and I have a a letter asking FERC to to look into uh, this particular situation in Texas, just like uh, the other guest was just saying. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we will stay on this story. Congressman Mark Vesey, Richard Parker, thank you both for being here. Really appreciate it. Really informative. Um, And thank you very much. Still ahead, Donald Trump tried to leave a lasting impression on the Pentagon, which I think we can all agree would have been very bad. But the absolute worst is the impact he actually did have on career advancement for women in our armed forces. That story is next. Stay with us.
previous administration, the former president turned the Pentagon upside down. Days after the election, he abruptly fired Defense Secretary Mark Esper as retribution for a host of petty grievances. Trump didn't like that Esper refused to back the use of the Insurrection Act to use troops against Black Lives Matter protesters. Nor did he like that Esper approved of renaming army bases that were named after Confederate generals. Then the former president effectively purged the department's leadership and installed a cast of sycophants and loyalists in their place. And all of this unfolded during the presidential transition when U.S. national security is most at risk. But what we learned yesterday is just as unnerving. As The New York Times reports, the Pentagon delayed promotions for female generals out of fear that the Trump White House might object to women holding four-star commands. And joining me now is Helene Cooper, Pentagon correspondent for The New York Times. Helene, it is great to see you. Um, I want to put up a picture of the four top uh, commanders in the Oval Office with the previous president, You'll notice something that they all have in common. They're all white men. Uh, and this apparently, at least according to your reporting, is the look that Trump required. Well, uh, the Pentagon leadership has long sort of been the domain of white men, Joy, as you know. And in this case, you had um, uh, you had a situation where both the former defense secretary, he was defense secretary at the time, Mark Esper, and uh, General Mark Milley, who's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, wanted to promote these two women. Laura Richardson, in fact, would have been going to, will be going, as it turns out, when she is uh, formally nominated to the, she will be, uh, uh, when she is nominated, the first woman to take on a combatant command when she becomes the commander of United States Southern Command. So that's a big deal. But both men decided, uh, figured at the time that Trump had, uh, President Trump had already slammed them on the Confederate basis. As you mentioned, he, he was angry at them for not supporting his his desire to use the Insurrection Act to, to sort of quell Black Lives Matter uh, matters protesters. And they didn't want to put submit these two women uh, to uh, to a president who had shown himself to be sort of adverse to the idea of putting women in these uh, in these commands. So they held back on it and decided to wait for Biden, betting that they could get these women into these jobs once we had a new president. Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com. You know, we have a military that is substantially made up of people of color. People of color disproportionately serve in the military, black and brown folks, that has been struggling, you know, since the Truman years with how to add, right? How to add African-Americans, something that Truman managed to do with an executive order. How to add LGBT people and being allowing them to serve openly because they were already there, allowing people to serve, you know, with openness. And now these questions about trans uh, Americans serving uh, their country, about immigrants, people who are DACA uh, serving and, and whether or not that protects them from deportation. All of these things are happening. It's becoming more multicultural. It, what has been sort of the, the change in internal military culture while all those changes have been changed in the culture? It's such an interesting question because the military is 
is very, very diverse. But at the same time, you have a very, very white uh, and male leadership. The Marines, for instance, have never had a four-star general who is not a white male. The Army uh, has very few. You have 43 right now. And of the 43 four-star leaders, one is a woman and uh, and they're two black. So it's it's not, it's, 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 it's it's been an issue for the military. They're tackling it. But you saw it with the, the January 6th protests, how many people there were sort of, of these protesters were former former military. It's something the Pentagon is very much mm-hmm. grappling with. Uh, uh, they haven't they haven't figured out a way to to fix this issue. And the female one is is one that remains remains an issue. Indeed, including issues of, you know, sexual assault issues that have to still be dealt with. But there is now a black secretary of defense. Black sec def is a big deal. So that's happened. Uh, Helene Cooper, we'll have to have you back. It's always great to see you. Thank you very much. And up next, a readout exclusive. OK, we've got a big announcement that could flip a U.S. Senate seat from red to blue. Stay with us. Republicans have made it clear they're the party of Trump, Trump, and only Trump. And any dissent is forbidden. Take this Pennsylvania County chair explaining the desire to censure right-wing Republican Senator Pat Toomey, who, despite supporting Trump with his votes for four years, voted to impeach him for fomenting the January 6th insurrection. Uh, We did not send him there to vote his conscience. We did not send him there to uh, do the right thing or whatever he said he was doing. We sent him there to represent us. No. Oh, well, alrighty then. I'm joined now by Democratic Pennsylvania State State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta. Uh, it's always great to see Representative Kenyatta. Uh, first, I want to know what you think about the Republican Party in your state and it's the state of it. But I understand you also have a little bit of an announcement that you want to make. So I want to let you do that first. So, Joy, always a pleasure to be with you. And I think what's clear from that clip and from everything we've been dealing with for the past four years is that America is really at a crossroads right now. I think that was made even more clear by what happened on January 6th. And the reality is that there's nothing written on a tablet somewhere that says America has to succeed. You know, America succeeds because every generation steps up to protect and expand the promise of America, a promise that has excluded for too long so many working families whose lives were tough prior to COVID and this deadly pandemic has made those cracks even worse. And so I know that we have an opportunity right now to expand that promise, to make sure that we have a country that doesn't just talk about justice and fairness for all, but that actually makes it real. And it's with faith in that mission and joy in my heart that I'm announcing here tonight that I'll be a candidate for the United States Senate to represent the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So I know a lot of people are going to be excited about that. If you've seen my tweets about uh, Representative Kenyatta, you know that I think you're a political star. Um, You just have a star quality. And that is one of the things that it does take uh, in order to run. You have to have a a certain amount of charisma. Uh, But you also do have to be able to beat some of the issues that Republicans uh, and others have built into the system. Pat Toomey, um, who, of course, didn't get elected with huge margins, right? But he was elected. Some of these elections happen in midterms. And midterms are when you have lower voter turnout. 
they, they oscillate. You have really high turnout during presidential years, and then it dips during, typically, didn't so much in 2018, but it tends to dip. There you see Pat Toomey is not exactly a clear winner. But how do you get enough people to turn out in a midterm year in order to get to the top, to, in, order to, in order to get that seat? It's not going to be him, obviously, on the ballot, but whoever, whoever the Republican is. Well, well, thank God it's not going to be him on the ballot. And if he had chosen to run, we would, we would have retired him either way. But let me let me say this. I think that we have to do two things. The first thing we have to do is we have to have a message that resonates with working people and not just a message that resonates with working people, but authentic messengers. You know, my first gig was at the age of 12, washing dishes to help my mom pay the bills. All the issues we're talking about from raising the minimum wage to student loan debt to clean energy and confronting the climate crisis, these issues are not hypothetical for me, they're real. And I think that authenticity is gonna matter because this is what Pennsylvanians are dealing with all across the Commonwealth. The second thing we have to do is really bring the band back together. Look at what we did when we delivered the state for Joe Biden and what we just did in Georgia with historic victories there. There was record turnout among young people, among African-Americans, who I like to remind people don't just live in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, but are all across the Commonwealth. And also we saw turnout in the suburban uh, counties where people recognize that the Republican Party has lost its way and that we need leaders that are actually going to speak to the concerns that families are dealing with. Listen, this is not about a cult of personality. This is about building the biggest coalition. And already my campaign has started to do that. You know, the American Federation of Teachers has already endorsed my campaign. The Working Families Party has already endorsed my campaign. And we're going to build a campaign that lifts up and centers working people with every single thing that we do. And so, listen, if folks believe that we should have health care for everybody, that we should confront the climate crisis, that we should have a criminal justice system that actually keeps us safe, then they should go to MalcolmKenyatta.com, find out what this campaign is about and join it, because that's the type of campaign that we're going to build that's going to win this state to take the very slim majority we have right now in the Senate and get us to a big majority where we can deliver on bold things for the American people. And so folks can go right to MalcolmKenyatta.com and figure out how to get engaged. I always stay marketing. Uh, so let, let, that you're doing a good job. You got to get people to know your website. So you're in the state legislature right now. And we know that Republican controlled state legislatures are working really hard to suppress votes, to make it so that, that what you just talked about is very difficult to do. They're busy gerrymandering the state in their favor. That won't affect the statewide race. But um, what is your plan to counteract that kind of voter suppression that you know is coming? Well, the plan is to do what we've been doing before. There are great organizations, if you think about the judicial gerrymandering, which I know folks have been talking about, they're trying to gerrymander the courts. Organizations like Why Courts Matter have been stepping up and taking that on. There are folks all across the Commonwealth who understand that the Republican Party has made it clear they're not going to run on a message that actually centers working people. They're not going to try to even convince working people that they're for them because they're clearly not. And so what they want to do is to try to shut voters up to not let voters have a voice. And, you know, you look at the United States Senate. We've only elected 11, 11 African-Americans to the United States Senate. Right. We have an opportunity right now yeah. to elect a 12th. And the way that we're going to do it is continue to push back. The way I've been fighting back against every attempt for them to disenfranchise Pennsylvanians the last election cycle, we're going to continue to do it. I've introduced legislation to expand early voting, deal with pre-canvas issue, and make it so every single voter, irrespective of who they want to vote for, um, can be protected. 
Very quickly, we're out of time. How, is your husband ready for this? Is he is he is he giving you the a okay, or did you have to did you have to have a big argument about whether or not it was time to hit the campaign trail? Because you know it's a, it's a tool. No, two he's giving me the a okay. He's excited. Dr. Matt okay. is ready to go, and I think Pennsylvania is ready to go. They can go right to MalcolmKenyatta.com, Joy, to get involved. Darn, I was going to say that if he didn't, if he didn't like it, he could have leaked to me and I could have had like a really great scoop. But apparently I'm not going to get that scoop. Uh, thank you very much. State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta. Congratulations. Uh, good luck. Good luck uh, on your race. By the way, we have invited Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, who's also a candidate for the Senate, to come on the show. We look forward to having him on as well soon. And before we go tonight, as we continue to celebrate Black History Month, we can't ignore the pair of aces that dazzled last night at the Australian Open semifinals. 23-year-old Naomi Osaka beat 23-time Grand Slam champion Serena Williams. Not only did they serve on the court, they serve as a reminder that black women are not only fierce competitors, but uplift and inspire millions around the world. And if I may say, Serena is the true GOAT, the G-O-A-T in sports. Sorry, Brady. All In With Chris Hayes starts right now with special guest Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner. When news breaks, go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows and hosts, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Go beyond the what to understand the why. Download the app now at msnbc.com slash app.